Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Frederick Gerton's latest documentary film, Push is a searing indictment of the systemic corruption that continues to drive the world's affordable housing towards the edge of collapse, all of which is happening because many of the largest financial institutions and real estate institutions are facilitating a tidal wave of dark money from organized crime, human trafficking, illicit drugs, and illegal tax shelters into the legitimate world of finance. Gurton follows Falani Farha former UN Special Rapporteur on Adequate Housing, as she navigates this new world. The film again is called Push. We're joined today by Frederick Gerton, as well as Lalani Farha. To both of you, welcome to Film School Radio. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, this is really a tremendously important subject that you have taken on here, Frederick. How was it that you got interested in in doing uh, push? Well, I'm I'm interested in in cities, and I'm interested in trying to understand what's cooking on our planet. And it was obvious for a long time that rents and housing prices been going up, up, up for a long time. And this has been like what people have been talking about. It's been the stress of a of a whole generation. And then you can see that the the salary, the wages are not going up. So so our cost of living goes up, but not the money we make. And then suddenly, obviously, the income equality is growing in an extreme way. And the US is a very clear example of that, but also many other countries. So, of course, I wanted to understand how it works, because we, we, we get a lot of small pieces of truth out there. And I tried to, to put it together to see if I could create the picture that makes it a little bit clearer. So it's been... It's been my journey trying to understand what's going on. And on this journey, I was lucky enough to find Leilani. So she has been like my private detective in the film. And we have also been, honestly, I mean, I'm not an academic. I'm a filmmaker. So I'm not starting off with writing, reading a book. You know, I'm starting off with simple questions. Why is this? And then we've been actually together been sending WhatsApps and, you know, with articles. What is this? How How can we understand? So... Step by step, I think you almost follow that process also within the film, where we suddenly introduce the criminal money, the tax savings. We suddenly introduce the, the, the pension funds. You know, so it's suddenly we get to a point, oh, shit, that's the place where the money is coming from. You know? so, so it's been a learning experience. And I mean, the film has been out globally for quite a while. And, and we, I, I know so much more now. So it's, 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 it's very interesting project and also the friendship with Leilani has been amazing and and growing in many ways. Lani Farha, how did you get to know Frederick? Well, it sounds like he reached out to you, but tell me a little bit about your sort of how you developed this relationship with Frederick. So 
I started to become interested in the issue that the film captures as rapporteur on the right to housing. I had read a crazy figure about the global value of real estate assets, which is shown in the film as, um, I don't know, $263 trillion or something, $217 trillion. And that number bothered me because I was traveling around the world and seeing people living in extraordinarily harsh circumstances on the streets, in tents, even in wealthy nations, in informal settlements, without toilets and showers. And I couldn't rectify those two things. Wait a second, the global value of real estate is so high. It's the biggest business in the world. And yet people are really suffering. And and as Frederick said, I've met a lot of people who just couldn't pay the rent. And Frederick reached out to me, said he was interested in the topic. He'd read something I'd written, I think and was interested in making a film. And it's actually as a result of Push and Frederick's interest that sort of allowed me to go much deeper into the issue and become much more of an expert insofar as I'm an expert. Because when you're a rapporteur, you often write a report on a theme and then you move on because you have to write other reports. But in this case, Frederick and I actually became detectives together, I'd say. For the film, I may be the detective because he's behind the scenes, but he was really pushing me to ask more questions and to go deeper and to to get a, um, a handle, as he said, on all those moving pieces to sort of understand the whole. So it's been an amazing ride in so many ways, but the friendship has been so instrumental in the work and moving forward the work and our mutual understanding. And that's one of the great things about PUSH is that we see your journey in this. We see how you evolve and become more and more familiar, not only with the places around the world that you visit, but also in the different mechanisms of how this is operating. And it, and it operates differently. This sort of, again, I, I referred to it, that may not be the way you want to say it, but this sort of extraction of wealth that we're seeing around the world. And housing is certainly a huge part of it. In fact, in many ways, it may be the most pernicious extraction of wealth and, and its impact on people. But we watch you go through this. And, and I like the way you start to film, Frederick, with sort of the real estate agent in Toronto. You know, you know this is a guy who's just interested in making a little money. He was teaching and now he's flipping houses. And and I, I, my, my uh, just by way of sort of anecdotally, my sister was a was an appraiser and she asked me to help her out for a couple of months. I was just struck by how the vested interest of everyone in the process of real estate is to drive the price up, except for the buyer. The only person in this equation that isn't trying to drive the price to its maximum limit, everybody is, except for that person at the other end who's, who wants to buy this property. So it, for me, I was an immediate lesson for me to see the momentum and the institutional momentum of all of this. So this is these are things that are not easy to un, unravel, first of all, to understand it. And secondly, to try to put some kind of guardrails around all of this. Um, but I love the way you start the film and then we evolve into how we see the you know, organized crime money, Russian money, I'll say it out loud, you know, that's just out there just flying around the world trying to find a place to land. And, and real estate has almost always been the best place to launder dirty money, almost from the very beginning. So anyway, I know I'm, I've bitten off a lot there in that, in that no, comment. You're but right. But I mean, you, when, when somebody is laundering money, we see it as something you know, isolated and peculiar. But actually, the laundered money enters into our societies. 
Yeah. And they push up the prices. Yeah. So crypto money makes your house more expensive. You know, the hedge fund money, the private equity money makes your home more expensive. It makes your coffee on the corner more expensive. It makes the glass of wine more expensive. So they're putting up the price for everything. And of course, if you are a pensionist and if you have some investment in that, you might earn more. But I don't think you will actually make more than your prices are going up. So it's, I don't think there is probably for us normal people, not really a reason to be happy for that our money is growing in the bank because at the same time, our, the prices of our living is going up. Right. And if you're sitting well, your kids will not do it. If you have you know, one, two, three, four kids, I mean, you need them to be a really wealthy man to help them out. Really right. wealthy. Right. This is happening all over the world. So there is a huge generation of young people who can't enter into the housing market. They, they, don't, they can't afford to rent and they can't afford to, to buy. But Lonnie, this is, as we see in the film, this is something that you appreciated uh, right away in terms of what, you, as you began to look at it. What was your reaction as you were starting to understand the big picture in all this? What was your reaction to all this? Yeah, I, I, I have been and I continue to be shocked uh, by how pervasive this is, whatever we want to call this, the financialization of housing. I, in the early days when we were first getting into this, um, I think it was like every second day I'd be WhatsApping Frederick or he'd be WhatsApping me with another story, you know, and everywhere we went, whether it was South Korea, whether it was New York, whether I, I went myself to Egypt, of course, these issues are raised everywhere. I, everywhere I go, I was seeing it and I was seeing some of the same names pop up, which kept kind of freaking me out. So of course, Blackstone, which is the largest um, uh, private equity firm with real estate holdings, I should say, their name kept popping up or their name wouldn't pop up. Another name would pop up. But then when I would do any kind of corporate search on that other name, Blackstone was there behind the company. And mm -hmm. so it, there is an, a way in which it makes me feel like uh, how entrenched this is in society after society and more importantly, economy after economy. I mean, this is built into our economies now. As Frederick said, I mean, that's what he was getting at, where the dirty money and the clean money, now they're mixed and it's all part of one system. So the dismantling of that, you can imagine then how difficult it is to dismantle, to disrupt. And I have only as my sword human rights. <laughs> I don't have liquidity. My currency is human rights. So it's not an easy thing to dismantle. But the film is so instrumental in getting people to at least start talking about it. For me, it's almost like an untold story that journalists, politicians, citizens have kind of missed. The people who know most about this ongoing development are people living like the guy from Harlem, you know. He knows about this because his apartment is pushed up to 3,500 a month in a big block, in a project in, 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 in Harlem. And we should understand that the, the, the last financial crisis, the 2008 one, has changed the world. It's totally new players coming into the market. They were not there before. So Blackstone, we mentioned them. They entered 2011, 2012 into this home, private homes. Now they are the biggest landlord in the US. They're probably the biggest landlord in the, in the world. They're biggest in Spain, on Ireland, and many other countries. And for me, this was like, oh shit, I didn't know. 
I didn't know. And, I, and then suddenly we made some research about my own country, Sweden, and they, of course, they were also here. Uh, but they are moving in and moving out, and they're, it's like they're constantly on the move. I don't really see journalists covering this in an in a understandable way, and, and the politician seems not to really get it, which is a pity because I think while you are right now in the U.S. with so many scared and angry and stressed citizens, uh, this is something you should talk about because this system is now rigged. And, and then, of course, you, the, the whole group of, of the people around Donald Trump are, of course, these people who made most money out of it, of the last crisis. And now they are sitting and sending out relief packages to their own friends. So it's ongoing. And you can see, we don't know what will happen in a few years, but I mean, the, the, there's a big risk that, that it will be even worse. We need to talk about this. Mike, if I might just add, um, I agree with what Frederick just said. And one of the things that both journalists and politicians need to do is start connecting the dots. I mean, why is it that in the most affluent countries, the most affluent, right? The richest countries, we're seeing also the biggest increases in homelessness. Isn't that a contradiction? But it's not. It's built into the economic system. And we have to start connecting those dots. And I think push um, is helpful in that regard. What I love about the film is it makes us all a little less afraid to probe. I mean, in the film, you know, I say something about being, you know, I'm just five foot two, you know, I'm just like an everyday person. It's not like I'm some superhero. I am really just an everyday person. I'm a human rights lawyer. I live in this nowhere town, Ottawa, you know, okay, it's the capital of Canada, but still <laughs> feels like a nowhere town, let me tell you. Um, so the film, I think, should can be used to get people to feel more comfortable. And I think it already has. I mean, Frederick says journalists aren't covering this. Well, since the film has been released, journalists are covering it more. And I think, countries, yes. yeah, in many countries, and I think, uh, t you know, all sorts of journalists, podcasts, and, you know, TV, etc. And I think politicians are starting to feel less afraid to start naming this. I think they, some of them know very well all about this. But how difficult in, in your country, in the US, it's very difficult to, to come out and name this when the chief economic advisor to the president is the CEO of this largest private equity firm, right? Blackstone, right? Steve Schwartzman. So it's when it's so much part of the structures, it's really hard to name it, call it out, be the lone voice. But that's what needs to happen for sure. I have to just add one thing. We, we had our first US showing exactly today, uh, one year ago at the Castro in San Francisco. It was an, at a time in history where there was a lot of people coming and everyone happy in this beautiful cinema. Yes, right. um, but after the screening, there was a young lady coming up to me and said, oh, Frederick, I feel less lonely now. Now I've seen your film. I understand that this is not my fault. It's not me that I wasn't smart enough. We didn't move in the right time. It's actually what's happening to me is a global issue. So, so, I, so I think that for me, that was ex an extremely important line that people can use the film to understand, to make it from an individual problem to actually a society problem. <laughs> Noam Chomsky once said that, you know, once said that uh, for people, uh, this is a huge hurdle, what you just described, because it's happening to me. Am I the only one? 
who is this, this is happening to in a whole variety of issues that we all face. And that this, the idea of the solidarity movements and in, in film and getting the word out is for people to be able to say, no, uh, this is not just me. There are many, many other people, and I'm not imagining what this is about. And this is what I thought it was, is actually what it is. And so this is tremendously important. I guess there's so many ways to go with this conversation. I don't want to get too far afield, but I, I happen to have been in politics for a number of years uh, and uh, as a you know, management capacity, if you will. And I talked to a congressman here in California very recently, within the last three or four months. And she said to me, the next big issue, healthcare is a huge issue, all kinds of you know, economic issues, but housing will be the next big issue. Because it's not, it's not Mike, if I can interject, yeah. I, I agree with that, except that it's not will be, it is. Yeah. Yeah. To me, to my mind, and Frederick has traveled the world more so than me, even, it is the the most significant social issue facing cities and people in cities around the world. Yeah. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind, and it's not just because I'm a housing person, go anywhere, go to a bar, a hairdresser, wherever. What do people talk about? They talk about how they can't afford housing or how they want to buy into housing or, and that's not, that is everywhere. I mean, prior to the screening of Push in San Francisco at the Castro, literally the day before, I was in Nigeria. The same conversations happening in Nigeria. Young people saying to me, I wanted to go move from my village to go to Lagos to go to university. I'm living 10 people in one teeny apartment. Meanwhile, there's a vacant home across the way, middle-class home across the way, vacant, vacant, vacant. So it's the same Sorry. Right. That's and a, that's it no. issue. And also tell you, Mike, that um, we made tons of interviews uh, all over the world. That's used, That's why we are just kicking all the time here, not letting you speak. <laughs> it, it's actually been a big difference between young journalists and older journalists. So young journalists always know exactly the film hits them much stronger in the stomach yeah. because it's their reality. Yeah. And many older journalists, they're still they still have a house. You know, they're still in a, a, a more secure situation. So this is like, and that's, I think, probably also reflected in politics. But it's, this is, uh, it's a, and I mean, the film has actually received several youth jury awards as festivals. So the young audience, the, the under 20 jury is actually giving the film the first prize, which I think it's, it means something to me that the film, first of all, all has a language that makes people understand, but also that it's, this is something people think about. They are stressed about, they don't have a clue how to solve it. Well, it's not even just about owning a home, it's being able to afford rent. It's being able to actually have any kind of housing. Mm -hmm. I know from my nieces who are uh, just turned 18, and uh, there's, there is, they have expressed, there's no way in the world that we'll be able to buy a home. No. And my parents are living in an affluent part of Southern California. Uh, but the idea, I can't afford to buy a home now. I mean, I'm priced out of the market here in Southern California. There's no way in the world I can afford it. So this, these are things that are, you're absolutely right. It is here. I think that for politicians, as you described, Lilani, is that they are usually a half a step or so behind what's happening in the world. It's, it takes that sort of 
uh, political pressure from the bottom up for them to understand just how bad it is. But I, I they, she had, she got it. She is absolutely was talking about how this has to be addressed, yeah. and uh, absolutely. So there are again. Let me remind our listeners: we're uh, talking about this documentary film called Push, and we're speaking with the director Frederick Gerton as well as the subject of the film, Lilani Farha. And there is one other element to this, and and uh, I mean, I, I think it's true. When the first world gets, uh, when the first world sneezes, the rest of the world gets a cold, and I think that's kind of what is happened. The first world got this, you know, there what an incredible investment opportunity for all of this money rolling around the world. Let's do it here, and then you see the ramifications of it as you were describing all over the world. Is that a fair statement to make, Lilani? No. Yeah. Okay. Well, I or mean, if you just... look at if you look at the history of all of this, I mean, a lot of this comes from the neoliberal ideology, yeah, and absolutely. I'm always uh, self conscious when I say that because I don't want to be dismissed as some lefty immediately, um, just by by mentioning neoliberalism as potentially problematic. But that's where it comes from, and if and the film it, itself exposes that in fact, while neoliberalism was exported from the West. Uh, to the global south, it was also really embraced very early on in Chile. Um, yes. And so to, to, to say that it's like just a northern thing, I think would be uh, wrong. I mean, I think it's been embraced by uh, a lot of southern nations. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if Frederick has a different opinion. No, I don't, I don't have, a, I have a different aspect, but I mean, what we can totally see is that there's too much money out there. Yes. People with money have more money than places to put their money. So they're, they're looking for places to put their money and they found out that, oh, people need homes, so let's put our money there. And so that's a race going on. And, and that race moves on from city to city. It's not all about New York City or London. It's about small towns also. Is that if there is a job, if there is basic service, and if there is a, some communication, the prices will be high. Of course, if you go to a place where there's no jobs <laughs> and you know no service, well, and no schools, and then it, the, the price might be cheaper. But it's like it's and this is a global thing, so you can go wherever you want. So rich people with money, right. and also people with money for them to make more money. It's so easy. They tell us money is cheap, you know, money is nothing. You can, you can always go out and get more money if you have. If you have, you can get more. But then for us, like 90% of the world's population, money is very expensive. Yeah. So it's, it's, the, the, it's a rigged game. So they can make more money all the time. And of course, then our small savings, they're into pension funds and other funds. And I mean, half of the world's stock markets are pension funds. And the pension funds are also, their asset managers are also using the same kind of actors who are deliberately putting up the prices of our homes around the world. And as Leilani states, there is a human rights problem here. No, there are so many things here that uh, after the collapse here in the United States in 2008 of the real estate market, there was a documentary that just came out called The Con. And they make the case that this wasn't an accident. This wasn't a bunch of uh, asset managers who didn't know what was going on. This was this was an a, a attempt to extract money that, and then they knew that the U.S. government would bail them out, which they did. And they and then after that, they were the uh, the feds were loaning out money at zero percent interest. 
therefore fueling more of this cash flowing around the world. And, and, and no one paid a price. No one went to jail for, a, for the, one of the most massive fraud in the history of the United States. So why would they stop doing it? What would be yeah. the incentive for them to, mm-hmm. to change their behavior? And we now have a president who came out of real estate, a failed real estate man, who has made more money than God. And he is now the president of the United States. Why would he change? And right now, politically, he's appealing to people in the suburbs. This is another component to real estate. Institutional racism in this country is, is a, the story of real estate. Sundowner towns, neighborhoods with, with minorities in them are less valuable. This is, this is the story of real estate in this country, is institutional racism. Mm. So there's another component to all of this. There's a political component to being able to scare people to vote in a certain way. It's I mean, true. And, yeah. and no, when, go ahead, Frederick. No, I mean, one f- figure that we found out that's like it's almost up to 13 million Americans lost their homes during the, the big uh, financial crisis. Yeah. And the majority of these people were Afro-Americans or Latinos. Yeah. So if, I mean, so if the, if people are angry on the streets of America now, there is, they have many reasons for it. And this is, this is very clear. But I think also the people who are living in the suburbs who are now kind of subsidized a little bit with the rescue packages and so on, if they suddenly lose their job, and if, the, if, if something happens on the housing markets within the two, three, four years, they might be sitting in the same situation. And this, I mean, remember that Blackstone entered 2011, 2012, so it's almost four years after the breakdown so we should now have a look at 2024, you know, and then then Trump's uh, suburban voters will be might be sitting in the same problem. Right, right. And one other little um, aside, an anecdote. I was working for a uh, Hispanic uh, civil rights group back in 2005, 2006, and Countrywide, <laughs> which was Steve Mnuchin's bank was holding mm. seminars with these people. The, the purpose of this group was to, sh- uh, to uh, essentially get them through the, the citizenship program and get them you know, certified to be citizens. And so they were, they were literally coming in and conducting seminars for these people who were predominantly working you know, marginal jobs in, and telling them that they could buy a house. And showing them how these were the ninja loans, you know, no income, no, no job, no, you know, just get them in these houses. I watched them conduct these seminars with hundreds of people in these seminars. And I don't know how many of them went out and bought homes, but I know they did. Again, there's just so much in this industry that is almost completely unregulated. The government refuses to regulate real estate. It's one of the most unregulated, if not the most unregulated business areas in the world, uh, actually. And funny you should mention Steve Mnuchin. In fact, um, Frederick and I have started a podcast to continue the conversation that we started in the film Push. And the podcast is called Pushback Talks. And as a matter of fact, we recently spoke with um, the author of Homewreckers, Aaron Glantz, who talks very much about Steve Mnuchin, who's now, of course, the Treasury Secretary in the U.S., but his role in um, really ruining people's lives in the aftermath, well, during and well, in the aftermath of the global financial crisis. And, you know, in the five-year period that Frederick was talking about, where where Blackstone and the private equities were not active, so from uh, the five-year period after 08, 
35 million Americans were evicted from their homes. Wow. 35 million. And that then allowed this predatory behavior by Blackstone and other private equity firms to move in and swoop up and purchase all those homes. And then to have the audacity to rent those homes back to the very owners at, at rates that no one can afford. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a history of, 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 well, it's an obscene history is what I would say. It's um, very brutal. It's extremely exactly. aggressive. It's, it's exactly. a very aggressive way of running business. Yeah. And it's, I'm a little bit surprised that this is not a bigger, bigger issue in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, well, yeah. I can tell and that, you. Like regulation, like right now we're in the middle of a pandemic and, and you know 40 million Americans on January 1st are facing eviction. So, you know, once the CDC uh, guidelines go away and the moratorium is suspended. So... So I would think with that dark history after the global financial crisis, that there would be a tremendous push to have regulations in place so that people can't be evicted into homelessness, that people can't um, lose their homes, um, you know, because they can't pay back the forbearance and all of that. I, I can tell you from my days in politics that real estate and builders are among the highest contributors to the political process. It, mm. they're, they're more of an individual yes. donor kind of situation, not an institutional, but they contribute heavily and they've almost always been Republican, almost without, you know, without any, mm. with very few exceptions, those people, are, and they spend money on politics. So yeah. there's another part of this equation that is just, uh, it's daunting, and you're absolutely right about all the things we've been talking about. This is such a huge issue, and it will hit home in ways that are even more dire and devastating than there currently are. And I, I'm so grateful for this film because I think, as you described, the reaction will continue to be as you described it earlier. People are going to get it, and they're going to get it. They're going to understand it. Um, it is just a basic human right. Alani, this is a it basic is. human right. It is. And, and it has been monetized. You know, one last sort of political observation. Uh, the Chinese have uh, been very effective in, in extending their influence over the world. And I look at uh, Africa as an example. They have not ever, they have, there's nary a Chinese soldier to be seen in Africa, but they have been buying up, buying up huge swaths of land in, in Africa. And their political influence is exceeding, getting larger and larger all the time. The, the, new, the new world order is you don't send an army, you send, you send your, your, your hedge fund managers into a country if you want to take it over. South America is replete with all kinds of examples of institutional buying that are affecting the political process. So this is the new world we live in. You can't send tanks anymore, but you can send a hedge fund manager. Quote, I like that. That's one. a really good quote. I That's love a it. Good quotes, yeah. And we then ask your audience to, to go to our website, pushthefilm.com, because yeah. there are some more information about the film coming out in the U.S., how you can actually see it. You can see it by, uh, by supporting your local theater, but also you can see it individually. And you should also look out for uh, Pushback Talks. It's out on all the platforms, our podcast, because there's more deepening information. Thank you again so very much for your time today. The film is called Push. And we've been speaking with the director, and that would be Frederick Gerton, as well as the subject of the film, Push, and that would be Lalani Farha. 
Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio. Thank you.